could you maybe just give a brief overview about what it is you do and a little bit about your background? Sure. So my name is Brees Sokolowski. I run a website called catholicfundraiser.net. And the gist of my work is I help uh, nonprofits um, in the Catholic context is my specialty uh, fundraise. So I help people who want to do something amazing in the world, um, raise funds to do more of what they really want to do. So it's a, um, it's a fun job because I'm helping people who don't necessarily get into something to make money. And then they recognize my goodness, I gotta, I gotta make some money because um, either it's to feed themselves uh, to keep things going or to expand. So it's trying to figure out the impossible with them. Um, so it's very, very exciting. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose with these nonprofits that you're working with, usually uh, it's probably, it's a little bit different than, because for example, my background is working in technology, which I, I think you also have a background in technology too, right? Correct. I went to school uh, to get an electrical engineering degree. Um, I worked in IT for a very long time. Um, I never imagined myself uh, being a fundraiser or even working in the nonprofit sector. That was not at all what I had planned when I was in my 20s. So it's interesting interesting because when you work in like a tech company, the the main purpose, I mean, usually there's people involved or people in charge who really are just passionate about technology, but usually the goal is to raise revenue, to create wealth for wealth's sake, right? Um, Which is not a bad thing at all, but... I think, well, I guess with nonprofits, usually the, the, the money is secondary, right, to what they actually want to achieve. It's just a way to help them achieve the, the bigger goal, right? Yep, I, I would agree um, with part of that, just in the sense that I got really disheartened from working in technology companies, um, not because people were necessarily money-driven. It was because they had zero passion for what they were doing. Um, the people that I was working with, didn't necessarily have a technology degree. Uh, they just got into that career because it was, uh, you know, they were hiring and the salaries were, were much higher than people getting English with, with English degrees and history degrees and no, nothing against those degrees. It's a lot of great, uh, you know, the, the, the older that I get, the more interested I am in, in these types of things. But uh, I was surrounded by people who did not have technology backgrounds, uh, went in it just for the money um, but then even in the concept of, of um, profit, it, it, my experience was they weren't really, um, you know, looking to improve the customer experience. So maybe I didn't reach the top enough to where, you know, the senior executives are talking like that. But where I was, a lot of people were just showing up to just earn a paycheck and they didn't even really like what they did. And it was very disheartening for me. So. I said, the heck with this. I'm going to try and find something I'm passionate about and uh, hopefully match my skill set. And um, everything seems to work out. So that's, that's interesting to me. How did that sort of disillusionment with how these people approached work, how did that lead you into going into fundraising and what you're doing now? Um, well, I remember one of the things that I really wanted to do when I was working uh, for large corporations is do the onboarding process. And I was always fascinated why people uh, uh, joined the company. So I always asked them, you know, why are you here? Why this company? And they just said, you know, they gave me an offer. And so that really ticked me off because I like, I worked really hard to get in that, in that company and I really liked the work, but then I was surrounded by people who weren't. And um, 
I think it's really true that you, you become the people that you're around. And I started feeling that I was getting um, disimpassioned, dis I think is the word. And mm. I, I'm not trying to say that I'm better than people, but I just recognize that, you know, I really, I, I feed off of other people and I got to, I got to do things, something around other people that are uh, passionate. So it led into this uh, kind of this soul searching, um, which then led me on to taking more serious my Catholic faith. Um, I grew up Catholic. Um, you know, I, I believed in it all, but I, I didn't really, you know, apart from going on mass on Sunday, um, doing things with fellow Catholics, maybe in the evening and volunteering here and there, but I didn't really take it into consideration into how it how it, I live my life, you know, every single hour of my day. And when I was questioning every single hour of my day with my job and the people around me, um, I naturally started asking the question, well, how, how do I fix this in context with my faith? Interesting. So you were doing this job and you kind of went through the soul searching thing. How did, how did, where did the Catholic faith come into that? Like, did you see, so you mentioned that you were, you grew up Catholic, but why did those two things collide? I guess. Um, I guess because maybe another thing collided. Um, I, I started, you know, I'm, I'm in my 30s now. And when you start getting in your 20s, I think, you know, you start recognizing the, the, the value system that you want to live your life on. And um, you start asking questions about who you are and what you do and why you do it. And, um, you know, people, you know, I would tell people I'm Catholic and they were obviously asking me questions about, you know, why the Catholic church believes you know certain things and then you know they, they, they explain to me why they believe things in a certain way and um you know i started figuring out well if i'm going to be catholic I, I need to really figure out why it is that i am it so i can i can respond otherwise i don't want to be catholic um so that was part of it uh, another part of it was that i didn't really like the responses that other people were, 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 were giving me about like why they believed in certain things or why they lived a certain way and it really, so there was a bit of a morality um, issue going on. And I started recognizing that I want to live a certain way. And I, I found that the Catholic Church, um, if you look at the teachings of the church and you actually look at Jesus Christ and you look at um, what he believed in, I, it really resonated with me. So mixing that with uh, my job and not really getting... Um, very passionate about it and in figuring out what the heck do I want to do with all the skills that I have. I mean, um, it, it just started leading in that direction. I think it's, it's an interesting point. I mean, I think there's a lot of people I can think of off the top of my head, not just people I know, but like even famous people, like, uh, I'm not sure if you're from, are you familiar with Evelyn Waugh? <laughs> the name rings a bell, but I have a pretty bad memory. On everything, so. <laughs> well, he's a, he's a writer uh, and he, he's a British guy. And he, oh, yes, 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 yes. He wrote um, Bridesmaid. 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 Yeah, yeah. That, that's been on my bookshelf for a few years. Um, yeah, he was, he's Catholic, isn't he? Yeah. Have you read that? I have not, but several Catholic friends have said, you need to read this. So I, uh, I started out getting introduced to him via the, the BBC. It was pretty successful, actually. The BBC uh, adaptation of the book. Really, really solid adaptation, honestly. And uh, so I never really got around to reading the book until just this quarantine, actually. I, at the beginning of it, I think it was, I read that book. And man, 
that is a phenomenal book. I can't, I really hard to, I've been trying to find things to, to read, to follow up with, you know, to kind of match it, but it's hard to find anything that's as good as that book. <laughs> wow. Okay. And what you're, you're, you, you, you raised the bar to, for me to maybe check that book again. Yeah. Um, you, yeah. I mean, d- during the quarantine, I took a lot of time to, to read as well, but I, I, I do audio books. And one of the audiobooks I've been wanting to read forever was C.S. Lewis's um, scientific trilogy. Mm, okay. um, I, I forget the name of it. Again, I have a horrible memory. Um, but he, um, obviously everybody knows his, uh, his other stuff, but um, especially the, um, ah, the one that they made the movie of. <laughs> Narnia, Chronicles Narnia. Nar- yeah, Narnia became super famous. Um, but the, he, he wrote this scientific um, trilogy and uh i finished two of the three and and it's just absolutely incredible how he um he he presents you know the the i guess catholic teaching morality but in in a way that in a secular sense that that makes you think just as a human being and it was kind of it it reminded me of kind of like my journey how i i didn't i didn't enter all this stuff you know looking for for faith uh uh, answers. I just was looking for answers to life of why people act a certain way. Why are people not uh, passionate about their jobs? Um, why? Why am I here? And um, that book was uh, pretty fascinating in, uh, in 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 laying out those questions and providing a few answers. That's interesting. So there's there's a lot of things I could say to follow up on that. I, one thing you said though. What is the reason then that you found like why are people not passionate? Because I, I think I think I've looked at this before. It's something, you know, most statistics are made up on the spot, so it's hard to trust them. But I think it's something like eighty percent of Americans aren't super happy with their jobs. So why is that? What was what's the answer you found for why people are not passionate about their jobs? Well, I, I'm going to say I, I agree with something that you you recently wrote. So I was uh, trolling you before uh, this <laughs> interview, and um, you, you wrote. Um, this great article about uh, why taking risks is an, inse- is an essential ingredient to life. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think a lot of people are just scared and they, they, they just follow the crowd. Um, I, I remember years ago, I think every pretty much young person uh, growing up in the United States and, and goes to school reads, uh, I believe Robert Frost, is, is it him? who said, I took the path less taken, and that's made all the difference. Yeah, that's the guy. <laughs> that's the guy. I think, uh, you know, in a nutshell, that's it. People get scared to do, um, you know, everybody wants to follow. Everybody wants to follow everybody else. Everybody wants to follow the mob. Uh, nobody wants to get out of line. Uh, 1984 all over. And um, you, uh, you, 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 the last thing you want to be is shame to, to do something different than other people. And, um, you know, I took a, I took a leap, um, at the moment it was pretty scary. I'll tell you that. Um, I remember times I almost couldn't pay my credit card bills, but wow. looking back, I'm like, I'm like, that was, I'm like, that, that was just a, that was just a drop in the bucket. That was, that was nothing. And I'm so happy I took that risk. Yeah. People are, like you say, people are, are scared. And another thing I see a lot is, you know, it's, it falls in with what you're saying about people want to fall uh, just like fall in line and go with the mob and there's I think there's an element of the fact that you kind of want to do what like this is kind of funny expression but you kind of want to do like what your grandma wants you to do you know like it's kind of like you're we're kind of trained to think in terms of what 
society has thought are the things to do for a while. Like we want to be doctors and we want to do this stuff that's more established. And it, it's, it's a risk in itself, apart from obviously like you've experienced the financial risk, but it's a risk in itself just to do something that's not super established in society. I agree. I agree. I think we're scared that um, we're going to upset people because we're, we don't do what uh, we think they want us to do. Um, but I, I think a lot of that is in people's heads, you know, um, I remember when I was, when I kind of like took my, to, to broke off my path, you know, I had these thoughts that, you know, I was going to upset my, my brothers. I was going to upset my family. They didn't care, but in a good way, they're like, great. You know, I hope you can get this off and running, but you know, I had a good education. Um, if it, if it flunked, you know, I'm not an idiot. I don't think I could have gotten another job. So, but I, I was actually thinking to myself, like, well, I can't let my family down. I can't let my friends down. I have to take this path because that's, you know, th that's what's expected of me. And it, it was, it, it was, the, it was a story that was in my head. And um, I, I don't know how it got in there, but it was in there and it was making me unhappy. Yeah. And that, that's another thing too, is like you, you mentioned that you were worried about your family and how they would react. But that's something I found too, is we worry a lot. Like we're really just kind of trained to want to pursue those, those really nice titles. And of course the money too, you know, the, the bigger paycheck and all that. But when you go to a party, people might care about your title for like a moment, you know, <laughs> or they might care about the fact that you're driving a nice car for a moment. But eventually it's like people don't really care that much actually they're more interested in what what they're thinking about they're more interested in what they're going through you know so it's like i feel like we put a lot of energy and effort into achieving these things that's like what do they not only is it does it end up being a little bit empty for you but nobody else even really cares anyways well i, I always found it interesting that when you with the parties people always ask like hey what's your name and then, hey what's your job <laughs> um and i used to hate that uh that question because i I, w I, I was kind of getting sucked into really disliking my job and I didn't think it really provided any value to people. But now um, I really like my job. And uh, I mean, that's me. I mean, I, I don't want to tell people that they have to go off and do something on their own, but I think everybody has a skill set. And, you know, the, the big question of the day is, you know, how do you, obviously you've got to earn money, but uh, I think in the 21st century with, um, the power of the internet and connecting with millions of people at a click of a button. Now is the best time in the world to, you know, to take a leap. Yeah, totally. And I guess for you, it's like, I can imagine that the fact that you like your job, you probably don't mind people asking you that question because then it gives you a chance to talk about something you actually like, you know? Yeah. I, I, I really enjoy sharing with people what I do and I also enjoy helping people, you know, I help nonprofits fundraise or, or make money. And if you think of there's an organization that's probably the most difficult to get money from, you know, these people, they go in, you know, they're not, and I'm not trying to diminish them, you know, they're not going in with, with business sense usually. And, and, you know, they didn't go to school uh, on how to, you know, how to project manage, how to make money, et cetera. But, um, you know, they want to do something for the rest of their lives and they have to figure out how do we monetize it. And it's super fun. And I love, I, I, I've, I've kind of like built 
like a model that I think works pretty well. I mean, I've got a few people that are, you know, exceeding anybody's expectations and there are plenty of other people behind them. So I, I find that fascinating. I, I really uh, love meeting people that have a great idea on how to make the world a better place. And they're like, well, you know, if I could generate some form of cash flow, uh, I could keep this going. And um, I guess that's the engineer in me uh, figuring out a solution to a problem. Yeah, so tell me more about this journey then. So you you had this big moment where you kind of figured things out a bit. And uh, part of that was figuring out that you wanted to pursue a job that you liked. Part of it was also that you decided to take your faith a little bit more seriously. And those things kind of collided, actually. Uh, tell me then, but how did you go? How, what was the next step after that? Um, I guess the next step was pretty much, I guess, quitting my job and, and, and you know, taking a job, you know, th th that was, I, I was more excited about. Um, but even then it wasn't, you know, it, it, it wasn't smooth sailing. I quickly disliked that job as well. Uh, and then I went to another job and then I disliked that job. I mean, in the end, I pretty much had to work for myself. Um, maybe that says something about me. Um, but I, I just figured out like, you know, maybe, maybe what I was seeing was that, you know, I see in today's age, there's so many opportunities. And I think, you know, people are always wondering, well, this isn't going to work out, or I've got all, you know, everything is stacked against me. And I kept seeing all these people around me saying, well, we can't do this, we can't do that, or we're, we're in a bind, especially in the nonprofit world. They're always saying, well, you know, if we don't get money, we can't do something. And it was, I don't know, call it a negative mindset. Um, but, um, you know, I guess I was raised in America with this whole concept of the American dream, which is nothing new. I mean, if you look at the, you know, look at Jesus Christ and what he was preaching, you know, he said, don't be afraid. So I just kept being surrounded by people who were afraid. And I'm like, well, I've got to, seems like I got to take the biggest leap possible and just go on my own path. And so what did that look like then? So was that different than you imagined it would be? Um, ex extremely different. I never would, I never imagined in my life that I would be, you know, my own boss, uh, um, doing my own thing. It, it just never entered my mind at the beginning. I thought I was going to be part of organizations, uh, uh, helping nonprofits. And, um, you know, the more I realized, you know, people, I, I don't know, it was really, really scary. And um, I found that if I was going to uh, achieve what I wanted to do or help people the way that I thought they could be helped, I would just have to kind of like, you know, you know, be the pioneer and just head for the mountains and pray that um, everything that I need is in the mountains. And it's probably pretty unique too. Have you, have you found it's pretty unique that for someone like with your kind of background, having done a lot of different things, are there a lot of people in your space that have that kind of a background or do you find that you are like kind of one of a kind? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I found a few people that have kind of, especially in the nonprofit sector, especially in the Catholic world, um, I found a, a few people who have built their own nonprofits um, and, and are quite successful and um, you know, when they tell me how they started and kind of like, you know, where they were maybe, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago, it, it kind of, I, I can connect and I can resonate with that. And, and that's somebody and that's a story that I can say, yes, you know, 
I can get a sense of that's the direction that I want to go, you know, call it mentors, but I'm eventually now finding people that, that have a story that I'm really excited about. And I'd be thrilled to say if I'm 50 or 60, um, I'd be happy to be in their shoes. Wow. And so are these, what are the kind of Catholic organizations that you primarily work with? So the three different types of Catholic organizations that I work with, number one is usually a lay apostolate, which sim- simply means it's um, just normal day-to-day Catholics who have said, you know, we need to fill a gap um, that's not being filled by the clergy, and we, we need to just deliver on it. So that's the first group of people. The second is religious orders. Um, it's, it tends to be um, religious orders who have to just, you know, raise money on their own they sometimes are cloistered so they can't do these big galas these auctions these events like everybody else and you know they're kind of secluded because um they usually were founded in a in an area where which became predominantly catholic they would you know they would put their monastery near uh, um, a catholic town or where uh, um people were were moving um and, and the diocese was focusing their attention on and was inviting these uh religious um, communities to, to come to help out. But the, um, you know, the, the churches have kind of disappeared. The people have moved on and they're kind of um, all alone, but uh, they don't want to move. So I, I help them. And probably the third one is, uh, is schools. So there's a lot of Catholics out there that, that are a little discouraged by um, the, the Catholic education system and the education system overall um, and want to take things into their own hands and say, look, um, you know, we're Catholic, we believe in, uh, in church teaching, and we want to teach that to our children, and we don't want it to be whitewashed or watered down or diluted, um, so we've got to do it on our own, and so they've got to uh, build their own schools. So I'm just, I, I actually know, I know of a few different Catholic apostolates and, uh, of course, different religious orders. Are, are which, can you name any that you've worked with? Um, I usually don't like naming them just because, um, one, you're probably not going to know them, and two, it's just at a confidentiality. But if you do go on my website, um, you kind of get a hint of them. I have a few, like, testimonials. Um, <clears throat> there's, like, a pro, also there's pro-life organization, like, in Minnesota. There's a, there's a school organization in Massachusetts. Um, there is a, another Catholic education um, organization in California. And there's a, a like a Catholic media outlet out in Michigan. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I don't. I probably wouldn't know any of those ones. I do know some of the the bigger Catholic apostolates that I've actually met with. Like, uh, I've met with. I don't know. Do you know Scott Hahn? Oh, yeah. He's his book was one of the uh, probably one of the first five books that I read when I was trying to figure out um, my direction of my life. Okay, which book? It was. Uh, home Sweet Rome or Rome Sweet Home. Rome Sweet Home, yeah, yeah. The, okay, cool. What, what? Tell me, I've actually not read that. What was it that you liked about that book? It, it was just a, a very open and candid uh, testimonial of him and his wife um, coming into the Catholic Church. And it just, because I, I was, you know, a lot of people were asking me questions about why I'm Catholic. <clears throat> and especially with Protestants, I was living in England at the time, and Catholics are... Uh, a small minority out there then I kept getting grilled and then I found uh, a friend recommended this book and said hey th- this guy was he, was he was one of the most anti-Catholic people in the United States and he uh, he got hit with a ton of bricks and became Catholic so 
it was a great book. It was easy to read. I think I read it in probably two hours. And I really, really liked it. What were you doing in England? I had moved there for one of my uh, IT jobs. Um, so I moved there and I lived there for six years. I love England. It's what a great country. What area were you in? I was blessed to live in, uh, in, in downtown London. Well, I guess can't really say that. That's an American thing. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I lived in, uh, in Kensington, in Chelsea. And then for a while, I, I, I lived in, uh, in the city itself. I was just in Kensington and Chelsea. I stayed there for a couple of days. Okay. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it, it's the classic England, you know, all the, you know, the, 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 the white, uh, the, the white brownstones, I forget how you would call them, but beautiful and really nice homes. Yeah. It's crazy. You just walk out the door there and it's like, you're like for us, you know, American folks, it's like you're, cause we're not used to having that kind of architecture. Um, but yeah, it's like you walk out and it's like this like magical land almost, you know, just like right out your front front door. I thought it was amazing. Yeah, it's an incredible city. I really liked, uh, for example, the area of Sloan Square. You feel like you're in a small town, but you're right in the heart of uh, of England. Okay, I haven't, I haven't been there uh, to Sloan Square. But that sounds cool. I uh, I, I really liked... The one thing I really like too, because you're, you're a Catholic guy, so you'll appreciate this, is I liked the going to the Tower of London and seeing all of the, uh, the, 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 the inscriptions in the wall that the Catholic martyrs had put there. Oh, I had not seen that. Yeah, so uh, I, I don't know how, how familiar are, are you with that part of their history? I, I didn't see that. What I did see was in Marble Arch. <clears throat> it was over there. Where they had the, um, oh my gosh, I have a whole memory. The, um, the martyrs, it starts with the T. Thomas More? No, not, and I, I did see his house and with his tree. <clears throat> the, uh, the Tyburn. Oh, okay. There, there, there's a convent, there's actually a convent, a Catholic convent, I think it's Benedictine, in the heart of, um, of London in a marble arch. And there's perpetual adoration there. It's unbelievable to think that they have perpetual adoration in the heart of London, and right across the street it, it were the gallows where they were, uh, were were either beheading or hanging all the Catholics. And right over there, you can walk, and there's a there's a plaque where there's a spot where it's marked where all the Catholic martyrs were killed. Oh, okay. And it was it was I mean there's a there, there's a rich history in England, obviously with the Catholic Church, and it's not a very pretty one. And uh, there was the <laughs> there was the Emancipation. I think that's what it's called. Like 150 years ago, you know, it was illegal to be Catholic. I mean, talk about uh, to talk about being at the bottom of the list of people. Um, you know, you, you weren't allowed to be Catholic. Um, all our Catholic churches were taken away from us. And, uh, you know, we were so scared that, that, that we had to, like, either leave or hide. Um, it, it was really daunting. And, uh, you know, fast forward to when I was living there. And I was blessed to, uh, to, to meet a lot of priests. And, you know, they would share the stories. And, you know we pretty much had to rebuild a Catholic church and, you know, every single one of the, I think there's over 200 churches in London, like every single one of them had to be rebuilt or built from scratch because all of them were taken away from us. So I thought it was a really cool story of resilience and, uh, you know, you know, you know, really just, you know, I guess lifting our heads up high and say, look, you know, you, you kicked us out, you killed us, you took everything away. Um, now we've got our freedom back and, you know, 
we're just going to rebuild and we're just going to show you that we're stronger in power than ever, powerful than ever. I think it's a powerful statement um, in today's world that uh, regardless of how you feel you've been treated um, and how bad you've had it, um, you know, God by your side, anything is possible. And then, uh, and then show people the power of God's love and uh, set an example. Yeah, that's, I find the history of the church there in England very fascinating. And I feel like a lot of people don't know about it. And I feel like they themselves don't really like to talk about it too much. <laughs> so, well, I mean, the, the, I was really impressed by the young Catholics in London um, because, again, it's a minority. And, and, and they were on fire with the faith, and I was really, really impressed. And it got me to recognize that um, the, 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 the church's history, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, the Catholic church is, is, is bad. It's not a lot of bad things. But, you know, it's, I, I don't know how to explain it. You know, it, it, it's survival in the world. And if you just look at the story of even the, the Catholic church in Mexico, like over just 100 years ago, I mean, the, 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 the brutal killings that were happened. And me, I, I'm Polish in the history of Poland. How many times it was disappeared off the face of the map and they had to rebuild and reclaim their land each time. I mean, it's just unbelievable. So um, it, it's just, I, I get more more appreciation for being Catholic um, every year of my life. Yeah, I think it is something that you do grow in appreciation. Like you, like you say, when you look at, the state of the church in places like, you know, in history, in, you know, in Mexico and in England. And another one that comes to mind just because I uh, love the book and I love the movie is the history of the church in Japan. Uh, have, you, have you read Silence by Shisasuke Endo? I, I did not read the book, but I watched the movie, unfortunately. <laughs> Tell, what do you mean, unfortunately? Tell me more about that. Well, I, 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 I personally did not like the movie one bit. Um, maybe the book was a bit different. Can you, can you elaborate on that? Like, what, what didn't you like about the movie? I think, I think the way that it ended, I thought it was a very secular stance on, um, I mean, the, the, the um, capitulated, maybe that's the word I'm looking for. I mean, the priests just really just, uh, um, just gave up their faith. And then, you know, all of a sudden, were, um, you know, pointing the finger. In today's world, we'd call them Karens. Um, and they, <laughs> they, they just gave up, and then they were they, they were outing everybody else, and they weren't doing anything. Um, and then they just got broken, which, I mean, I completely understand that, you know, when you're under a, a regime like that, it, it's very hard to, to kind of, like, stay strong. But I got the sense that the movie ended, you know, where he's kind of like, I, I kind of forgot how it ended, but he was... Um, the, 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 one of the main characters, he was dying. Um, and then right before he died, it, it revealed that in his hands was like either a little cross or a little uh, infant Jesus, or there was something to kind of like say that he never let go of his faith. Do you remember that? Yeah, you know, that's funny. That was not, that is the one scene that was not in the book. That, that was a scene that Scorsese put in where he's holding the cross. That was something he added in. Okay, because I the, the, when when the way I read that was you know that you know he 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 never let go of his faith or that God is still going to love him. Like I was like I was like, what's the point of zooming in on that? Like he'd spent I don't know how many years of his life giving up on the Catholic faith, 
uh, um, leaving the priesthood, and he married a, a woman, um, had a child, nothing against marriage, but, uh, I mean, he completely disowned uh, um, his vow as a Jesuit priest. And um, I thought that scene was supposed to try and make me feel empathy for the guy. Mm, mm, mm -hmm. Maybe it was. Maybe that's, maybe that's what Scorsese was trying to do. I hadn't thought about it. <laughs> did, did, did you see the movie? I did, yeah. Um, is that not what you got? Well, I mean, dude, I, I just have, I have such a, I, I love that book and I love, I love what it's conveying to a certain extent. I do understand that take for sure. And I feel like probably most of my Catholic friends that I talk to point that out. And that is definitely true. Like, I think I, I you probably haven't seen, are you familiar with Bishop Barron? You probably are. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm familiar with Bishop Barron, but it was probably not another um, another example of, you know, like if you read the book, you're going to love it and you probably get more out of it. It's kind of like, um, like, um, like I'm a big, um, who wrote The Grapes of Wrath? John Steinbeck. Yeah, Steinbeck. Mm -hmm. I mean, I love his books. Obviously, it's been great that some of his, the movies have been really good, like Of Mice and Men, but like, I just, like the books are just unbelievable. And so... I've, I've kind of, I think that was probably one of the last movies I ever saw because I said, I'm, I'm just fed up with, uh, <laughs> with, with, with Hollywood's take on the Catholic faith. That's Apart funny. from like back in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, like uh, A Man for All Seasons. My yeah, God. That's, oh my gosh, movie. that's a great book. I'm a great movie, sorry. Yeah, that is a very good movie. But you know, see, my, my takeaway, because I was going to say Bishop Barron said something good, which is he said that if you if you if like a, a bunch of like i think he said marines or something or you know a bunch of special forces guys from america if they went on a trip or on i'm sorry trip what am i saying <laughs> if they went on a like a mission and they uh defected it would be very clear and you asked were they traitors or not it'd be very clear to say yes they were traitors right mm. and i think and he said that's the same case with these priests it's very obvious that they were traitors and i'm, I'm not arguing with that at all i totally agree with that but um i think that to me as someone who studied the, who read the book and studied the author, uh, is that I think to me, I, I feel like there's more going on there in terms of the, the vision of the faith he was trying to portray. And again, I probably don't even entirely agree with his vision, but I feel like part of what he was asking was, he was really asking the question of why was it that the faith had not taken root in Japan? Like if, if the faith is for the whole world, then how come it, can't take it can't take shape in certain places so i think that that was a really just a very compelling question and i guess that's why i like the movie is i felt like they really stayed true to that that question that was being raised i think i think endo's ultimate the writer i think his ultimate idea was that uh that basically somehow like, it, he was doing something good by being like a like almost like a white martyr you know like he was martyring his faith for the sake of these people again i don't agree with that but i think that's might be what he was trying to say but i think this ultimate question of it's, it's an interesting question it kind of ties in what we were talking about england it's like why if the faith is universal how come it has so much trouble taking root in some places well it goes back to the question of jesus if jesus christ is god like why did they kill him yeah like you know it, it's you know you know that that that, that man is fallen and um, I forget which, um, I think it was a Greek philosopher who, who said, I, I, if I could find on my Twitter feed, I would. Um, but he said, um, like, the, the evil that you see men do, you're capable of too. 
Um, so, and even St. Augustine said, you know, he, I, I don't want to, I'm paraphrasing him dramatically, and I hope somebody finds his, uh, his quote, which he says, <laughs> you know, you, you, we have to be obviously careful with, um, with, 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 with I, I, I don't know, pointing the finger or saying how bad people are because, you know, uh, or they're doing wrong because, you know, faith, the faith is a gift. And uh, one day, you know, it might us be doing wrong. And, and St. Augustine was saying, and I hope that other people would be kind and generous into trying to direct me in the right direction. So he was saying, um, you know, we have to be, we, 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 we can't be, uh, I don't want to say judgmental, but I mean, you, you have to point things out to people, but at the same time, you have to recognize that the faith is a gift. Um, it's not something that, oh, you know, I have and you don't, but it's like, it can, it's really hard. I did a theology degree, but it's all out the ear now. And I forgot how to paraphrase these things because the last thing I want is somebody listening to this podcast and saying that uh, the faith is the gift and God can take it if he wants and, you know, think bad things happen. And just, it's, and that's where I think you have to, like, don't take things off, you know, at surface level. You really have to dig into this stuff. And people still ask me this day, like, why are you Catholic? And I'm like, you know what? I've answered all this, these questions. I wish I remembered the, 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 the answers. I don't. But uh, from what I remember, um, it's strong enough, those answers. And I, I can find them in the books. But uh, right now, I just don't know the answers because I completely forgot them. I'm focused on other things. But I hope that's what other people do as well, is don't take things so superficially. Because I think a lot of people do that. And, you know, and they do that with most of their life. They see the news and they see a certain angle and they're like, oh, well, that must be true. Or, or they hear us a friend say something or they, their circle of friends and they take things, you know, that's their reality when they don't really stop. And I think this is part of the risk taking is you just you just go with the flow again and like really sit back and figure out who the heck am I? Why do I believe what I believe? And let me take a stand. And regardless of what other people say, I've taken a stand because this is what I really believe. And I think we need a lot more people like that because most people don't want to take a stand. They, they, they don't want to. They, they don't want to ruffle the feathers of anybody else, and they they sure as heck don't want to stand alone because they're scared. Yeah, and I I like that you tied in that risk there because that's something I didn't I didn't really include faith in in that article because I, I in those particular articles I don't typically talk about faith, but you know faith itself. It, well, A, taking a stand and believing in something is a risk. And B, when you, apart from that, when you take a risk in your life, it opens you, it opens you up to faith because you're, you're allowing yourself not to be in control. Well, yeah. So, I mean, when, when, when we were kids, you know, you're, you're allowed to, to run around and, you know, hopefully play outside. <laughs> but, you know, as we grow up, people say don't do that don't touch this don't do this you know we start being coddled sometimes way too much that you don't want to get hurt um and i think it's just the wrong way of, of looking at life because you know when you're like well i can't do that because that might happen and i can't do that because that might happen you know all of a sudden you know the joy of life is over and i'm not saying that you have to you know jump out of a airplane to get some excitement you know that that's that's an extreme but uh, like just the normal day-to-day -day living a life that you appreciate. And, you know, going back to like Evelyn Vaughn, um, you know, and C.S. Lewis, you obviously have G.K. Chesterton. Um, you also have, um, uh, there was another English author as well, uh, Hillock, 
what was his name? Bell Hillock. Oh my gosh. I'm, hopefully somebody corrects me from. <laughs> I don't, I'm not yeah. familiar with that one, but it sounds familiar. H Hilaire, H Hilaire Belloc. He was a, he was a French Irishman who lived in England. Um, great author, but you know, th there's so many great authors out there um, that remind us of how to live. And I think, um, and I'm not trying to say back in, you know, a hundred years ago, life was better, but I think, you know, every generation has to remember, you know, who are we and what do we stand for? And I think that's what we're kind of seeing in today's world is people are kind of like, I don't think people really know what they're standing for. And it's not to say that this generation is different than any other. Um, it's just, you have to, that's life. And, you know, you'll be lucky. Well, hopefully we all have, you know, 70, 80, 90 years to figure it out. But, uh, you know, every day, you know, you're, you're not guaranteed, uh, uh, you know, a full day on this earth. And that's, um, you know, you should, you know, when you breathe air, you should be reminded that, uh, you know, we're mortal, we're going to die. And uh, you, you, better, you better do things that um, you enjoy. And that's, that's why I do what I do. And uh, I'll do it, uh, you know, for as long as I'm excited about it. But I'm never going to go back and just do things for the sake of it. How boring. So how can people engage with what you do? And like, what is the primary way to do that? So the best way to connect with me is just visit my website, catholicfundraiser.net. Or even if you just Google Catholic fundraiser, Catholic fundraising, I now pretty much own that keyword search. Nice. Um, whether you do it on like YouTube, I've got a ton of YouTube videos and uh, on, on, on my website. And um, every week I, I, I share with people what I'm doing. So I've learned uh, the, the magic of content marketing. You know, you just pretty much document what you do and it'll attract people that are interested in what you're doing. And so for the past maybe three to four years, I've been doing, um, first it was a blog and now it's a vlog. And so I, uh, I video myself and sometimes you'll see, you'll see me with uh, a beard. Sometimes I won't have a beard. Sometimes I'll have a mustache Sometimes I'll have a goatee. And, you know, I just explaining to people what the heck I'm doing that week. And um, if they want help, they can contact me. Wow. Okay. So, and I, I remember reading on your website that you are, you're pretty much all online now, like all of your businesses through, through your website, because that's the way you can reach the most people, right? It's, it's the, it's the easy way of reaching people. And if anybody's trying to start a business, um, you, you got to go online. Um, one of the, a great resource that I came across in the beginning was a gentleman by the name of Michael Hyatt. Um, he's actually, he's, he's, um, he's like Greek Catholic or something, but he mm. used to be the, the CEO of, uh, Nielsen's the, the publisher and, um, he's retired now, but he, um, he's just a guru at, at, uh, this whole online, um, build a business. And, um, he just shares with people so many golden nuggets and, uh, he's got a lot of great books. And, uh, I came across this guy, Michael Hyde, and he just, Again, kind of like uh, Scott Hahn just laid it out in plain English. This is what you got to do. And um, I followed it. And um, thanks to him and a few other authors and a few other mentors, I'm, uh, I'm really blessed. Wow, yeah. So what are some, I guess what I'm thinking is, what would be, what's your main goal for the next, like, five years you have like what's your what's your big dream for the next five years with your business um well i would love to, to 
to, to, to fundraise. It's not necessarily that I get it, but I, I would love to, um, my whole thing is, is to uh, get as much money in the hands of saints because they know what to do with the money. So whether that's tens of millions, hundreds of millions or billions of dollars, I want to, I want to funnel as much money into living saints because they know how to transform the world. And I would love to just get these people and not to say that they necessarily need the money. That's the funny thing. Like they're saints on their own. You know, they don't need the money, but like, I would just, I have this vision of like, you know, get all of them, you know, black Amex cards and say, okay, now, now let's see what you can do. Um, I think that'd be really exciting. So I, I'd like to take, uh, make Mark Cuban into a saint and, and just <laughs> duplicate him all the way as much as possible. So instead of, you know, uh, um, even though, yeah, I, I don't mind sports, but you know, really uh, double down on, um, on making the world a better place. Not to say that Mark Cuban isn't trying to do that, but. <laughs> awesome, man. I, that's great. I love it. And also it's been a, a massive pleasure talking to you, especially I really enjoyed um, talking about some of those Catholic books and literature and those kinds of things that we have in common just from, you know, similar interests. I think that was, that was really cool. Thank you.